0: Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news of the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley. And we want to say thank you all for tuning in for another episode here Covering Tennessee men's and women's basketball. This will be, again, probably a very Tennessee men's basketball heavy podcast. The women lay balls just aren't, they're having a, nearly as busy of an offseason as the men's team. That's probably not a bad thing, I would say. But we'll, we'll kind of get into that here in a second. I do, first of all, want to say thank you to all of the new followers and stuff we've gotten um, on social media recently, on really on Facebook mostly. We, we have definitely gotten some more on Twitter too. But all of you who, you know, who are new listeners here because of finding the pages on social media. Welcome in. I want to say thank you to all of you who've uh, followed us on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever on Facebook. We're at Vol Basketball Fever. I think we're now up over like 460 likes on Facebook and over 420 followers on Twitter. May not seem like a whole lot, but when you start from zero and get to there, it's still, <laughs> that's nice. I'd say uh, I, I really appreciate all of you who support us. All of you who listen in, all of you who interact with us online as well. So really, really appreciate that. Really appreciate questions and comments and stuff you guys send in uh, things you leave on the posts, things you just kind of send us out of nowhere. So I really appreciate all of that. If you have any questions, again, hit us up on either of those at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter, Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio is our newest addition to where you can find us, where basically you can find us anywhere you can get podcasts. Well, Gene, it was a busy, busy week last week. You and I did a podcast midweek. I sandwiched that, it was sandwiched in between two interviews I did, one talking about Justin Powell the Auburn transfer that's coming to Tennessee and then also an interview with uh, the high school head coach at Montverde Academy's uh, their grad pro- their post-grad program who was the head coach of Tennessee's newest commitment and Quentin DeBonge so I got two interviews in there you and I did a podcast so if you all haven't had a chance to listen to any of those or listen to one or two of them go check it out those are in the you know, archives whatever the most recent three episodes all last week check it out but Gene since you and I did a podcast last week there's been even more news. Uh, most of it happened on Friday, and then there was one on Monday that we'll get to in a second. But on Friday there was a lot of roster movement. Again, with uh, this team that's already had quite a bit of roster movement. Uh, on Monday, or excuse me, on Friday morning, you had the news of EJ Anisicki transferring out of the program, or is going to transfer out of the program in the transfer portal after a disappointing one year at Tennessee. And then Corey Walker, also one year at Tennessee, didn't see the court any a former top 100 prospect is transferring out of the program as well. And then you had Eve Pons, no surprise, is going to go pro, whether that's going to be in the NBA, overseas, we'll see, but he's at least going to go pro and, you know, is not returning for another year, another COVID year at Tennessee. So, Gene, all in all, that means that we've seen this off season four players transfer and three declare for the NBA, you know, three go pro. And, the you know, those three weren't really a surprise. I don't think really anyone was counting on, Springer Keon Johnson or Pons to return for next season but then you have four transfers in Anisikian and Walker you have Drew Pember and Devontae Gaines who I, I think Gaines announced his decision on Friday of where he's going and he's going to follow Kim English to George Mason which I think makes sense I think it's a good move for him uh, to go down to George Mason along with uh, Kim English and I wish them both the best of luck there but Gene, for our you know w- we have I think some New followers and and stuff as well here, so I want to kind of reiterate a little bit of things we said in the past, and also put a little new spin on it now that more moves have happened. Because I think the last time you and I talked about this was, I think, more speculation about how many moves were going to happen this off season. Typically, when you look on paper or you see a news, you know, a headline or whatever that says t- a, a team in men's basketball has seven players that were on the roster for this season that won't be back next year. And there's, who knows, there could be a chance there's an 8th or a ninth or whatever, too. Typically, you're thinking, well, what's going on with that program? Why is there a mass exodus? We, we saw that kind of, I mean, th- there was a lot of talk about what's going on with Memphis when there's several players from there leading. You know, what's going on with Penny? But now we've seen Penny kind of reloading again and, and getting some transfers and, and commits and things like that, too. Typically, though, if you see a, a large number like that where it's about, you know, a little over half of your scholarship roster is moving on, you're thinking something's going on there that, that does not look good. But Gene, let's reiterate for anyone who may be panicking, any new listeners who may not have heard you know, or, or new to the podcast here. I don't think, and I know you would agree with me, I don't think anybody should be worried when they see that number. If anything, I think this, even though it's kind of a large number, seven guys of your 13 scholarship players, I think it's a good thing Tennessee is getting these transfers and, and getting you know, this much change because we, we have talked about it before. This team is going to need basically a facelift to... To be competitive to where you want to be next year, you know you could be mediocre. You keep this, you know, mm. keep a lot of the guys you had this past year, and you could still kind of basically get the same results. Bringing in a Kennedy Chandler, and maybe a transfer or two, and a couple of guys in recruiting class, and keeping some of the same guys you have. But right now, you have what th- three guys? that are they're you're thinking are for sure coming back. Who are main contributors last year, Fulkerson's still up in the air, but I think he'll come back. So that leaves probably four of your main, like seven guys eight guys who contributed for you last year but Gene again I don't think it's a bad thing at all I think you see it on paper and think wow it's a lot of attrition but I think this is exactly what Tennessee needed this offseason and I think it it can especially depending on who they can go out and get I think this could be you know exactly what this team needed to be better next season now I'm not going to say they're going to go you know win the SEC or maybe even finish top four again or anything like that but they needed to kind of change the identity of this team and this is the way you do it. <laughs> it's it's either encouraging guys to go elsewhere or them realizing, hey, I'm not going to get playing time here. I'm not fit in system like I thought I was going to. This to me is not a bad thing at all that you're seeing this much kind of roster turnover.
1: Yeah, and and so I think if you look at just who is, you know, who is in and who is out, um, you you already kind of knew that you were going to lose Johnson and Springer. I mean, that was kind of expected. Um, I'm not sure that there's a surprise. Maybe some people had held out hope for Corey Walker, but, I mean, nowadays, if you have a kid at that level that doesn't that that is at least in some levels healthy for an entire calendar year and doesn't play a second, then you kind of expect that he's probably not going to come back. Um, and then you get to the other kids who just never really were able to put together the sort of consistent um, – improvement, consistent, contrib- you know, have the sort of contributions to where you feel comfortable about them coming back. I mean, Games was obviously a tough player. Um, you know, Pember, I think never really quite figured it, figured things out. I mean, he was al- always going to be a tweener type guy. Um, and a sickie, you know, put up numbers at a much lower level. And, uh, obviously Eve Pond shouldn't expect to come back most likely. So, you're looking at a situation where you've got seven guys who are gone and um, yeah, like you, and you've brought in Justin Powell already so you've, you've already kind of replaced one of the pieces that you've lost and if Justin Powell can become, if Justin Powell is now your Devontae Gaines and he's a much better version of Devontae Gaines so in that, from just that and just that trade-off you got better uh, now you have to Place you got? How can you upgrade Anosiki? How can you upgrade Drew Pimber? You know Johnson and Springer are tough. Con- I mean, tough play pieces to replace. But Kennedy Chandler will do a pretty good job of replacing uh, Jaden Springer, and we'll see what uh, the California kid uh, will do in terms of kind of stepping into Johnson's role. And again, when I say that, you don't have to be as explosive the top a potential top five top 10 pick like Johnson, you just have to be able to be you know to contribute in a form in, in a fashion that is similar to that because you've got other good pieces around you. So I, like if you're going to be competitive uh, in college basketball in this day and age, you have to have as many good players as possible. And I think what Tennessee has struggled with in my opinion for the past three years is they haven't had enough good players. And I know people who can say, "Well, what do you mean?" In the past three years, they had, you know, Grant Williams and Schofield, and you know, now that starting lineup was was crazy. And my response is, "Get past that starting lineup and and tell me what you have, because I'm pretty sure Lamonte Turner was the sixth man on that team, and Fulkerson was your seventh man, and that was all you had. You had seven good players, and it's not about. And again, we've talked about this before in podcasts. It's not about seven eight man rotations you it's about having if you if you go eight deep normally and you have to go to nine he has to be a good player because sometimes you have to go there and so in your in the past three years they haven't been able to go past seven and you can just mask it that well we just go seven deep anyway but yeah when you get past seven you've got guys who can't really you know contribute at an sec level like you want and so like i think you know, if you can just right now, I think you feel good about Vescovi, by Josiah James. Uh, if if Fulkerson comes back, that's three. Um, God, I'm already forgetting pieces. I mean, Victor Bailey, if if he has the right role, he becomes a good player. That's four. Um, again, I will never give up on Olivier Kamwa. If he's if he's there, I still think he could be you know be a contributor. That's five. Now you've got Justin Powell, that's six. You feel good about Chandler and Masek, that gives you eight. So can you get to, like, ten players that can contribute? Because if you can get there, you have a chance. And and so, like, again, I covered a UTC team about three or four years ago before I moved up to the Tennessee beat. And I think after the first or second year, they lost, like, well, heck, last year, they, they lost, like, six – Six players, like four or five, six players off their team. Like their their roster is like literally a revolving door year in, year out. They'll have they'll lose like kids to – kids will transfer to like TCU or, uh, you know, bigger schools because they just want to go out and, you know, they're like, okay, we put up stats at this level. Let me go to the higher level and see if I can produce there. They'll lose four, five, six, seven, eight kids every single year. And, and their record gets better and better and better. Because you're bringing in the right pieces for your sort of system, your sort of style, and so I think it, it, you hate to think that some of the play pieces that you lost could be addition by subtraction. But that could very well be the case when all the smoke is cleared and Tennessee's final roster is, you know, kind of been pieced together through, you know, through tape or whatever. I mean, however they get to the right sort of, you know, combination of players. Then I think all of a sudden you now have a roster that you feel good about. It may not be as flashy, there may not be as as many stars as the fans want, but the last time you were competitive, you know, on a national level, you know Again, look, this year they were good. They weren't competitive on a national level. Not when it came to the games that mattered. So the last time you were competitive on a national level was two years ago. You know, like again, where are all the five stars? They don't exist you got guys that fit your system fit your style and you maximize it you had a fast point guard you had a guy inside that could score buckets because apparently that's what rick Barnes, you know will stick with that you know it what in my opinion it's more a more antiquated way of going about it but it works for him um so he's got his big um yeah he's got his big he's got his point guard you know he's got some guys that can shoot Last time I saw that, they won 31 games. They were number one in the country for a month. I'm not saying next year's team could be that. What I am saying is uh, you have a roster that can compete. And at, at the end of the day, that's all you're really looking for. That's all you really want.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point about the way the roster is constructed and you know what Rick Barnes has had success with. And I, I, while you were talking to, along with l- listening what you're saying i I was trying to look up some offensive numbers for like the past like four or five final fours and kind of seeing you know what kind of the makeup of a lot of these teams are that make these final four runs in, in the last few years and with few exceptions from what i've been able to look up essentially right now is you've got i think except for the 2016 or 2018 tournament where it was two of the four from 2017 19 and this past year, three of the four um, final four teams were teams that finished in the top 20, top, I think even top 15. No, it was top, at least top 20 of the adjusted offensive efficiency ratings on Kimpom. And that to me, Tennessee, when they were at their best, you look at what Rick Barnes, like I said, you just said Rick Barnes, and when they won thirty-one games in 2018-19, uh, and 17, 18 when they you know surprised people and, and made a a run there. The we've talked about it before in this podcast that those offenses were good. I mean that that twenty eighteen, nineteen team scored like eighty-two points a game. I think they were they were either really they're really close, or they did set a record for I think either most points scored or points per game for in UT history. I mean that that was a an exceptionally good offense. It was the best offense Tennessee had had since that other team that went number one for a a week (laughs) under Bruce Pearl in in 2007-8 When that happened, that that was the best offense I'd seen Tennessee have in, you know, a decade essentially at that point. And that's again, not to say that you, you know, offense first offense only, because you got to have decent defense as well, because you're not typically, you're not going to just be carried by your defense or by your offense. That The exception to that is, looking right now, and then 2017, North Carolina was ninth in the... Uh, actually, no, look at the wrong thing there. Never mind, they, they had a good defense, too. So, typically, you know, you have to have a, a good... at least a decent defense in order to get the most out of your team. you got to still be kind of top, you know, 40 defense, and Tennessee has consistently at least done that. They've, they've been a good defensi- defensive efficiency team. But you need offense. So this team has had such bad offenses the past couple years, where... It, your your bad night on offense i think you've said this i think i may be thinking if you said this last time gene your bad offense needs to be on a night where you know if you're having an off night you're still scoring 60 something points not a night where if you have a bad night you're struggling to score 50 which tennessee did multiple times the past two seasons so the, <laughs> you think back to a couple games this past season with tennessee um, against old miss against uh, i think florida was one of the games where they they did that as well i mean, pulled up really quick. There there was a couple games this year where they well, I mean the first game of the season against Colorado where they scored fifty-six. Okay, you see, you look at it here, they had one, two, three, four, five, six games this past season where they scored less than sixty points. You can't in this day and age, you can't do that. It, even as just like as recent-ish as the Conzo Martin years were he wasn't winning consistently, and, and with Tennessee struggling to score, you know, 60 in some of those games, you can't do that. You go back to the season, be- you know, last season, one, two, three, four, five, six, again, six games there of scoring under, under 60 points, and the team that went, you know, 17-14 was probably NIT bound before the season got canceled. Again, you can't do that. Tennessee was two and four in those games. I think they were two and five, two and four, whatever I said in the this past season under 60 point games yeah they were two and four so two and four two and four you're not going to win games nowadays by not having offense again you don't want to sacrifice too much for your defense but Tennessee has had just really bad issues with offensive efficiency going cold for spurts I mean it's one thing to go cold for three or four minutes in a game that most teams are going to have that happen but you can't you can't consistently, almost game in and game out, have six to eight minute stretches of not scoring and, and getting your points via you know via free throw and and a, the occasional two around the rim and not hitting any threes, not hitting any jump shots. Go back to the the team that went to the Sweet Sixteen was number one for a month. Their lowest score they had one game that was under sixty points that season, and they beat and they won. They beat Vanderbilt 58-46. Every other game they scored over sixty points, and the majority of their games, they were scoring uh, well into the mid 70s or higher. I mean, that's just how good that team was offensively, and and they were, they they struggled, I think, down the stretch a little bit more with defense. But, Gene, I'm with you. I, this team needs to focus on getting offense. The guys they brought in when they did with their uh, Drew Pember and Devonte Gaines, the, you know, they showed promise, but we always knew there were going to be projects. I think Pember especially so because he was a six ten kid who looked like a beanpole and wasn't a post presence. He was a, a guy who was a perimeter, th- kind of a perimeter threat, but still didn't really transition into that very well at Tennessee. The guys you're looking at right now, Tennessee trying to land in the transfer portal. You've got, like you said, Justin Powell, that, that we the Tennessee picked him up a uh, week, about, almost a week and a half ago at this point. You look at some of the other guys they're targeting, and a lot of them have been offensive-minded players that are in the transfer portal. Uh, you looked at, well, a guy like Noah Gurley who ended up committing to Alabama over the weekend. That was one Tennessee looked at and, and was in, had mutual interest in. He was an offensive-minded guy. Um, you look at a guy like, who, I think Walker Kessler has officially, let me double-check, but I think he has officially pulled his name out of the transfer portal Is going to stay at North Carolina. I think, well, I don't know if it's official yet, but it's essentially all but confirmed, I think. Um, but it, it seems like there's a lot of rumors about Walker Kessler staying back at North Carolina, but he was another guy who was offensive-minded. Speaking of North Carolina, you have Garrison Brooks, who Tennessee has reached out to. He's a pretty good offensive player. Uh, especially the last couple seasons, he's really upped his offensive game. And you're seeing guys that, even even the guys who Tennessee's targeting who are more offensive-minded, they still have some, like, good defense. I think Justin Powell is probably average to above average, but he's got length and he's got good foot sp- foot movement. He's a guy who can cover multiple positions as well the Quentin, DeBonge kid kid that he's is, that is got a commitment from is a really good defender. So you could have those role players. It's a matter of when you're counting on a guy like Eve Pons to be playing 28, 30 minutes and it's not just because he's a good defender but you're also counting on him to be an offensive player that's kind of where Tennessee has gotten in, in trouble. So I, I, you know this team needs to bring in more shooters. This team needs to bring in more offense. That's why I think all these changes Makes sense. Um, what's his name? Ej Nisicky was not going to see playing time this year, Gene. And I, I hated it. I, I wanted that kid to have a, a successful Tennessee career because he had that great story of his sister being a, a you know a very good Lady Vols player, him growing up and and going into the games like that, and kind of always wanting to be at Tennessee. I, I was really hoping he would have a successful Tennessee career. Didn't happen. He he had he didn't play like hardly at all down the stretch. So, Gene, I, I'm curious before you transition to something else here. Obviously, Tennessee's still got plenty of movement to do. We'll, we'll talk about another potential um, kind of guy to keep an eye on in recruiting here in a second. But I think you're, you'll see Tennessee probably bring in, what, another, two well, at least one more, if not two more transfers at this point. I'm curious, do you think we see any other transfers off the roster? Uh, do you think we see a Victor Bailey or a Viscobie transfer? Because I think, you know, losing a Camwa or a, a, a Rush would, wouldn't be great for Tennessee's depth. But those are more survivable than I think losing a guy like a, a Victor Bailey or a or a Descobie because those guys, while Bailey was very inconsistent this year, he still you know he'll still give you some offense and he'll still do things for you. Vascovi, as you and I talked about before, I think gets a little too much um, disdain from some of all fans because I think he in an off-ball role will be really good as a shooter for Tennessee. If they lose either one of those guys, that I think might be a little concerning, but I, I I don't know that we see more movement unless it's one of the two bench guys, but I'm curious if you've gotten, you know, what you think about Tennessee losing any other players. Cause I, I think they're done in terms of losing players off the roster for transfer, but I, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, to see another guy really leave here in the next couple weeks or month.
1: Yeah, it feels as though this is who they've got, um, or it feels like they, they've completely gotten rid of I mean no let will say got rid of but they've lost <laughs> the guys that you kinda of expected that they were gonna lose. Um and and and, I, and again I, I think if you just improve on what you've lost, then you'll be fine. I mean I, while you were talking I was uh pulling up the scoring offense leaders in the country and you know Gonzaga of course was number one and then I look, go down Baylor, the champions were six uh, Iowa was fifth. They were a top level team this year. Arkansas was, I mean, sorry, LSU 10, Arkansas 11. These are all like sweet 16 type teams. Um, you know, I mean, you keep going down. Alabama's 25. Uh, you know, and you just, like, what you're seeing so many times is, uh, you know, Florida State was good. They were 46. And so what you see is, like, you just, you have to prevent yourself from having the sort of, the night where where again, a bad night still equals like seventy points. It may not equal eighty eight or ninety or whatever like the case may be like you know, but a bad night still like you can't put so much pressure on your defense to be perfect. and when you can't score, then your defense has to be perfect. You can't have defensive breakdowns. And that's just not a way that you're going to consistently win is to put all of this, all of your pressure on your defense to just say, go win us this game. I mean, this is not 2005 or whatever. And the yeah, game is and not. It's,
0: and same. it's not like football, like NFL football, where you can do that. Maybe not as much now as you used to be able to, but you, you it's not like a, a. this is basketball. You shouldn't have to, like you said, put that much pressure on your defense to go do that for you.
1: Yeah, and, you just, again, it's just not a sustainable way to win. And when you are an average offense, like, you can be an average defense. You can be an elite defense. But sometimes elite defenses don't always score at a high rate. Tennessee was 152nd in scoring this year. Um, I'm trying to see. Like, they were three spots ahead of Vanderbilt. Vandy. Um, yeah, and they were
0: 167th in true shooting percentage. Like, they are they were right yeah. above UTSA, and they were two spots below ETSU in true shooting percentage this year.
1: Yeah, so, again, and I'm just scrolling, and, you know, like, they're down here. Well, and here's the crazy thing. Like, they're down here with teams that weren't good this year, like, for the most part. And this is in the 150s. You would think 72 points a game, which is, you know, what Tennessee average. Yo, that would put you top level. Like, you're down here with, you know, Davison. You know, wasn't great. I mean, historically good. Not so much this year. Um, Not that I don't don't recall them being great. Uh, Vandy. We know what Vandy was. Like, VCU was a tournament team. But I'm trying to see another power five. Like, Boston College is down there. George Mason, who obviously fired their coach. Uh, Iona, you know, like, who only played 18 games this year when it's all said and done. Like, that's when you start seeing the company that you're keeping. Kentucky was 193. Again, Kentucky averaged 70.4 points a game. Tennessee averaged 71.9. If And Kentucky was built a lot like Tennessee, just with less experienced players. That's just reality. Like, they, I mean, they just wanted to win a lot of games on defense and turning defense into offense, and that sometimes works. But sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> If you come up against a good offense, then if you come up against a good offense, they're not turning the ball over. And if you can't force turnovers, then they're going to score because you're not big enough at any spot other than what wherever Josiah James plays, as long as he's not playing inside, you're not big enough at any spot to really force much. Like Keon Johnson, for all of his excitement, he's only one defender. James Springer's tough, it's only one defender. Like, you're going to have, more often than not, by the time that season was over, you were going to have at least one, at least one weak spot on defense. Because after Fulkerson went out, like, again, I've I've argued that Fulkerson's best attribute for for Tennessee is the fact that he can handle, you know, all these switches that happen in college basketball now. Because they, because Bama burned Eurosh when I saw, when I watched that game. They burned him on every switch possible, and Fulverson could have defended some of that stuff. But you know, like that's—you're you're go- if you have one weak spot defensively. Nowadays, teams are smart; they will find it. And so, like if you're, and, and if you don't have the sort of offensive players to combat that, you're gonna lose. And you know, if you if you kind of look back on Tennessee season, um. I mean once you get past once you get past the uh, I'm trying to say, the Appalachian States and Tennessee Texas, and St. Joseph's and UC Upstate that's four that's four just gimme games right there that they they blitz those teams they're basically 14 and 9 against teams that you know you kind of judge yourself on like if if the teams that are similarly built to you 56 against Colorado, 65 against Cincinnati, 73 against Missouri, 63 against Baylor. Like, they topped 80, what, twice? Three? Four? Okay, no, there's more. Uh, they topped 80 points five times this year. Five. And no surprise, they went 5-0 in those games. So, they could just have a good offensive game, but you couldn't expect it. And so, like, I, I just know going forward, like, that's probably why there's been such a rush to find offensively talented players. I don't know how many of those players are still around. I think you mentioned the Garrison Brooks kid. I just read that he could committed to UNC. Um, he
0: recommitted re- to UNC?
1: No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wrong person. Walker he Kessler. committed to play Mississippi State. Oh. Uh I don't know if that's legit. I don't know how legit this uh this sort of Twitter handle yeah, it is. It looks like called...
0: Jaden Gardner who I mean, I don't think Tennessee had been in on him as much lately, but he committed to Virginia just now as we're recording this.
1: Yeah, of course. Um and I think he would be I think he's the sort of I think he'd probably be pretty good there. I I don't know, but I don't know what Virginia has back. I know that they struggled a little bit this year, and uh, I don't know. So we'll see. And yeah, I mean, if it's if it's legit, I mean, like that's two play those. That's a couple players that you were kind of in on and you were kind of going after, that you're not getting. Mm-hmm. And so what's next? I don't know what else else is out there. I know it. It feels like Tennessee. You know showing interest in a transfer is kind of like last year before the Tennessee football season where they offered like 6,447,000 people. Um, seems like every single time that there's a transfer out there, it's like Tennessee and like, they're not doing it like Arkansas is doing it. Because yeah. Arkansas and Louisville, are, they're working that portal like, you know, like champs. Mm. And like, again, I don't, I have to wonder how much of that is, you know, I want to say it's uncertainty, but it's, you know, kids kids want to run kids want to shoot kids want to play and maybe again I don't know I don't want to you know suggest that but if you're looking for a post player but we're saying hey we're only going to use you as a post like if you're a kid with options I'm not trying to bang down low for 35 minutes a game now but it's like who's going to coach me that's a good question <laughs> yeah, that's quite I mean Ganey you know we're going to talk about him let's just yep. go ahead and just segue into that like Ganey he said it looks like he's I've been trying to read up on his bio I mean he's got you know he's, I think he's got some head coaching experience and uh, I think I, I thought I read that I may, I may be wrong
0: repeat that uh, what did you uh, say you thought he had
1: no he didn't okay uh, he, he. but he's got a lot of yeah, I was. I, I thought I thought he may have had some head coach experience, but no, I did. I did not read that. He's associate head coach. Yeah. Um, but you're bringing in a guy that has a lot of college experience there, and you know, like he, he's obviously a good, you know, a, a solid recruiter. Brought in some, you know, brought us some good classes at Santa Clara, and uh, brought in some talented pieces at, you know, Arizona. Was big on getting Nico Mangan, who I've seen, and as a nice, really nice player. So, again, I'm looking at things like, man, like, recruiting these guys is not the problem, but, like, as a, when it comes to sports, we're probably smarter for the most part. Like, us as, you know, pundits and and whatever, but also kids are as well. And and so sometimes kids are going to have questions, like, who's going to be my coach? And... I just have to wonder because as, as many people complain about Tennessee's lack of post recruiting, how much of that is possibly they don't have they haven't had a post coach there for three years now it was it was about to go on three years yeah and you know that I do think that that's I, I do feel like that's some sort of a problem I I don't know how I don't think it's a an indictment. Or anything, but it's hard if you're gonna, in my opinion, if you're going to play a system and a style that allow you to, uh, yeah, if you're gonna play a system and a style that say we're gonna go inside out, then you probably need to have a guy to develop the inside part. Just my opinion. And I don't see where Tennessee has on the roster, and I do think at some point that's going to be a problem. Like if I'm if I'm a parent of a, of a basketball player. And I am a parent of a basketball player. If he's if if a coach is recruiting me, I'm sorry, recruiting him, I got a question like who's going to be his coach? Like we we understand the importance of those things in football, but those things have those things aren't any different in basketball. If you're going to ask a kid to be a post player, you've got to have a guy to develop them. And if you don't have a guy to develop them, how are you going to get better? If that's going to be your system. If your system's just sprint up and down the court, just run from rim to rim, block shots, get dunks, catch alleys, do the Darius Miles celebration, whatever you want to do, (laughs) if that's how you want to get down, then so be it. But if you're actually telling these guys, we're going to throw the ball into the post to you and tell you to go to work, but we're not going to give you any tools to work with. Then that's a tough sell. Like you're going to get your what you're going to end up getting in recruiting is kids who really don't have many other options. Maybe they're late bloomers or whatever the case may be. And then you get guys and you're just like, now, we get there. We're like, well, I'm going to teach you this. I'm going to teach you to fade away. A high arching fade away. That's going to be how. That's going to be how we develop you. Okay, well, what about some post moves? What about, you know, drop step, whatever? What about this, like spin move? You know, go baseline, left hand hook, right hand hooked, all those little sorts of things that those tools that you can use to work with. Well, yeah, um, work on those in your own time. Well, who's gonna work with me? Well, I got this guy here, he played guard at Wake Forest. Oh, okay, well, how about a post? Do we have a guy who kind of works with posts? Well, I got this Juco guy over here who spent some time at Cumberland. And again, not an it's not indictments on the coaches, because I think Rod Clark and Justin Gaynor are going to be really good for Tennessee. For the guards. <laughs> like, I just don't know <laughs> who's going to develop the guys that you're bringing into your system if you want to play that way. If, if you're going to scrap the system that you've done and just say, we'll go five out, pass, cut, you know, Get to the rim, whatever, and just basically put a guy in a dunker spot. And I'm getting really nerdy with basketball, but if you're going to put a guy in a dunker spot and say, Hey, Kennedy, get to the paint, throw an alley to our 16 guy, focus it, slam it home, that's fine. Like, if that's the system you want to play, that's fine. But if you're going to play a system where it's inside and out, we're going to throw the ball into the post so many times a game, we got to get paint touches, we got to get paint touches then you have to give these guys some tools to work with. Because after a while, people are gonna realize, oh, well, those guys don't have anything. They, they don't have any skills to work with. I'm not worried, I know exactly what postman they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Eve Paws, oh, I know he's gonna shoot that little fadeaway. I may not be able to block it, but I can at least I can at least get a hand up on it. Focus, and he's gonna shoot that young, he's either gonna catch, Face up, attack the paint. It's not a post move. I mean, hey, that's just a move. Folks better, you know. To me, he's better on the you know, out in the court. Euros plastic could be a good player. Who's developing him? Let's well, just complain because he's not good. He's a project. He's a project. Well, if you're gonna bring in projects, you better have somebody to, <laughs> to work with the projects. Otherwise, there's two years later, there's still gonna be projects. I'm off my. And, and with that, uh,
0: you know. well, I'm going to join you up there for a second because I, I was looking through Rod Clark's bio for you know, on the official Tennessee website, and it, I, I, yeah, I don't know if you know this or not, Gene, but do you, is he going to coach post at Tennessee? Because it, they, it looks like in his bio, they, they gave him credit for kind of coaching the forwards at Austin Peay, or at they they touted the fact that the one of the forwards at Austin Peay, Terry Taylor, was the OVC Player of the Year while he was there, and. You know, with Austin P and okay. a couple let, of the guys that he talked about him with him other fours and stuff. You can't give
1: him credit for Terry Taylor who no, was yeah. like... Yeah, he's already yeah, good. Like, yeah, like that kid, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure he's like two or three time um, player of the year in that league and that was before he... And what's his face? Clark just got there. Terry Taylor is a six five post player who finished his career oh, with 1,700 yeah. points <laughs> And over a thousand rebounds all of those all of these accomplishments he got he got long before clark ever got there and again mm-hmm. i don't say that to be smirched, clark's abilities but did he do something this year that he developed some level of his game that he did not have in years past no, you know he's looking
0: look, look at his stats that's almost identical from his junior season so was, i mean
1: and that's, and like that's not like i get it Look, yeah. you you were the guy. Like you threw that on the resume, and I get it, man. Like you're, you're grasping at straws. I understand. <laughs> I completely understand. But come on, man. We can't give this. Like and like again, I don't say it to downgrade Rod Clark. I don't. I think that guy's going to be a good player, yo. Know, but you can't put Terry Taylor on his resume when a his resume literally his bio literally says guard slash forward. And B, yeah. he was the exact same player he was. He was a six-five guard who apparently was extremely athletic, who could not shoot worth a lick uh, his last year. Well, heck, when he became more of a post player it, under Rod Clark's tutelage, he also went from 32% from three-point range to 28%. So, uh, like that's like, like, come on, man. Like, look, like his assist-to-turnover ratio, or I'm sorry, his assist went up to 1.6. He also turned the ball over 72 times. But he averaged 22 and 11 from a guard spot, which I do think is extremely impressive. Yeah. It is. Like I, that is,
0: like you said that was something he was already doing though.
1: Yeah, like it's not like his game changed. And like sometimes I think we get lost on that. Like sometimes kids aren't necessarily getting better as much as they're getting spotlighted. Mm-hmm. Like we, I mean at some point, somebody's going to have to ask, did John Fulkerson actually get better his junior year, or did he just get the ball a whole heck of a lot more because they didn't have anybody they felt good about? Did he Was he do? I mean, would he did he have the ability to do those same things his sophomore his sophomore year? Because the last time I checked, Fulkerson was the best freshman on that roster before he got hurt. You know, better than Williams, better than all of them, I think. I don't know if they were the same class, but um, – yeah, like, I mean, so, like, at some point, are they getting better or are they getting spotlighted? Like, is there something that we saw, we see some kids do that they weren't doing the year before? And, like, that's the thing. Like, and that's the like that, that's the thing for me. It's like, look, you, your production may go down from year to year, but have you picked up a new trait? Was there something that you worked on from that previous season where you spent a lot of time with your assistant coach or position coach developing a certain aspect of your game that would make you a better player the following year i don't know like that's what i'm saying i don't know i'm not at the practices anymore so i can't i just haven't don't know there's a whole lot of just post development going on there but come on man we can't sit here and give rock clark credit for terry taylor if he brought him in i yeah i get it if he brought him in that one year and he was great but, he, I mean, his numbers, his scoring and rebounding numbers were, were identical from year to year. And, it, it, like, if there's somebody else that they're going to give him credit for, I get that. If you want to give him credit for somebody else on his, I mean, for somebody else's contributions. Um, I'm seeing Tyrese Maxey, uh, Shaq Harrison. Those are both guards. Um, apparently, he developed Drew Timmy. They, they, they threw that on the resume. I'm not sure what the connection is there. I would assume uh, maybe, that was
0: probably in his AAE ranks. Is what I'm guessing. Yeah.
1: Um and that's good. And, and like to get it like that? Look, that's could be 100% legit. I'm not going to sit here and argue that. Um But yeah, I'm just reading this stuff and it's like, okay. Uh maybe um maybe he's maybe he has to be that guy. I don't know. I can't speak on. It. Maybe he's maybe he is the guy who gets the, you know, who who gets tasked with working with post players, and you know, I and I say that to say, it's not completely impossible for somebody who plays a certain position in in college, you know, uh, to get to move to another position, um, you know, once they're coaching. I, mean, I know of football coaches that were, I know a football coach that was a receivers coach. I'm sorry, that played receiver in college, and then went and became a defensive, uh, like an outside linebacker's coach, and he now works with the Patriots. Um, I I know those things exist. I, I do know those things exist, but that's a whole heck of a lot of work. Now, Rob Clark would be the person to do that because everything about his resume screams grinder. When you go from AAU to Sunrise Christian Academy to UIC to Austin Peay to Tennessee in the span of four years, five years, you're a grinder. He's just twenty-eight. Yep. So, I'm not going to doubt his ability, but I just I just have to question it. Like, do do those guys even exist anymore? Like the guys who can just come in? Is there is there another Kenny Payne in the country? Because that guy, <laughs> it's obvious. <laughs> I mean, who does Kansas have a post coach? Because I'm pretty sure they throw. I mean, they've always got a seven-footer that just takes up space and randomly dunts on people all the time um so i i don't know and so i don't know i said i'm, I'm back okay i'm back off my soapbox again <laughs> I, I, I do want to you, you said terry taylor That just uh-huh. that I set
0: you off i, I had a feeling it was going to <laughs> yeah right. uh, i do want to vote off some of the things you said there but just really quickly as we're recording this right now uh walker kessler is not returning to unc uh, Gene, he's going to Auburn. So Tennessee, oh, Vol fans <laughs> are hoping to maybe land him. Instead, he's going to go to Auburn and probably terrorize Tennessee for the next couple of years because that's what Bruce Pearl does. He, he gets guys and they go and they beat Tennessee. They they can't beat Bruce Pearl. So that's uh, probably a, a nice gut punch for Vol fans there. of, of a so, guy you're hoping might, if even if he didn't come, you know, if Tennessee wasn't going to be players for him, he might at least return to UNC, but now he's coming to Auburn.
1: Wow. So, real yeah, real quick before I so they so Auburn replaced Justin Powell with Walker Kessler. Yeah, good job. You can get it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's pearl for you and this his coaching staff there. They they, them and LSU landing uh, Xavier Pinson earlier today uh, as well. That's another nice full Wade grab. I think I will say LSU. I don't think will be as good next year because they are losing a lot. But getting Xavier Pinson, Pinson does kind of help you know, replenish the store a little bit there for them, but they are losing quite a bit from the team um, they had this year. But still, again, we're talking about all this stuff for Tennessee and the transfers. It's not like it's happening in a vacuum. you got Alabama landing, uh, again, more key transfers, Arkansas landing key transfers, Florida landing key transfers. Kentucky's gotten, I think, one or two. Auburn now, you know, like you said, replacing Powell with Walker Gessler. Uh, Mississippi State got uh, Garrison Brooks from UNC as well. So, I mean, this isn't all just happening for Tennessee in a vacuum. This is happening in a league where the SEC has been very, very active so far in the transfer portal of men's basketball, and they're going to keep getting active because you've you've seen multiple players of, off the rosters of these other schools like Florida transferring off, so they're going to have to replace them somehow. So they're probably going to replace them with other transfers, if not you know some recruits and stuff here and there too. But that'll be you know we we could talk more and more about that. But I, I wanted to touch off a few things. You, you already mentioned tennessee adding justin Ganey as the another you know the second assistant coach replacing kim english and des oliver rod clark was the kim english replacement and now justin Ganey is the des oliver replacement Ganey i i think i don't see an actual age for him on here but i think he's a, probably about 40 or so just basing it off of oh here's his birth date 1977 so yeah he, he's about 40 he'll be he just turned 44 back in march so uh 44 year old you know pretty good mix of experience and and youth there he's been coaching for about a little over a decade at this point he's been in the ACC the PAC 12 the Big East he's coming from Marquette where he was the associate head coach this that was his second stint at Marquette um he also coached at Santa Clara coached Arizona coached at he he got a start at NC State um and then he also I think coached I want to say at Appalachian State as well so he coached under his former head coach Herbson Deck at NC State because Ganey also played back in the late 90s as a point guard, was the a, a captain his senior season. They say on his bio that he finished by the time he finished at NC State, he ranked second in program history in starts, fourth in steals, tied for fifth in games played, and was ninth in assists in his career. So you know, not, at all, not a bad career at all as a, as a player there um, at NC State. And he's gone on to, you know, be not a bad coach I, but that, I mentioned that because for one it's another coaching change and as you had already touched on Gene some of the, his highlights and stuff there and you know again Tennessee bringing in another kind of former player as a coach that, that seems to be something that Rick Barnes would like to do you know Kim English was a really good player from Missouri um, I don't know I don't remember if Des ever played or not but I, I think this has been more of a trend lately for Tennessee to bring in former players um, to be assistant coaches but another big reason why Ganey is worth talking about is his uh, his connection to a, a big-time recruit that Tennessee is interested in, and that is Jonas Adu. Adu, I think, yeah, Jonas Adu is a 6'11", foot, depending on which um, profile you're looking at, uh, four-star forward center in the 21 class who was committed to Marquette, and Ganey was his lead recruiter, decommitted uh, about, I want to say, at the, I think at the end of March, so two weeks ago at this point, he mentioned Ganey and mentioned uh, the other, I think it was the other assistant coach or mentioned someone else on Marquette's staff. But the reason he decommitted was because Marquette made a coaching change. Now, Ganey is headed to Tennessee. As I said, he was his league recruiter at Marquette. He's a guy who's rated nearly as a, as a five star on Rivals, but he's a, he's a top, kind of 100, top 70 player um, on 247. But he's a guy who plays over in Charlotte. We know for a fact that Rick Barnes loves his, loves Charlotte kids, loves loves guys out of North Carolina. Um, he's a guy who. I the pull of stats here. I think he's averaging as well as he should, being a 6, 11, seven foot, 215 t- two hundred fifteen pound player. I think he's averaging a double double, or average a double double, in his senior year. Uh, yeah, according to this rivals article I'm looking at, averaged seventeen points, eleven and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, and three blocks per game for a twenty three and three nationally ranked. Liberty Heights program, so Gene, I think I don't think this mi- this move was made with just with Jonas Adu in mind. I think it just was a you know potentially a happy coincidence. Potentially, I don't, I don't think this was made because of that. But I think Ganey's is a, a, a you know another like you said another solid addition. I just wonder, like you said, who's going to coach the forwards? Who's going to coach the post players and stuff? Because that has got a, a track record of coaching you know guards and stuff too in, in his college coaching career. But I think it's another solid addition. And I think this link to a Jonas Adu, I think is that's a, a huge positive. I, this is a guy who I look at as a kid. If Tennessee gets him, that's a big if because he's gotten offers from a lot of different schools since he decommitted. I think he holds something like 25, 30 offers at this point, and, and a handful of those have come in the last two weeks after his decommitment um, from our academy. He holds offers from Alabama. I think he's picked up some from Oklahoma State, from Oklahoma, You know, teams that made the NCAA tournament. And, and, and you know, made some decent runs in some cases as well. He's got one from Houston. Um, let's see who all he's got offers from. A lot of different schools. Kansas has offered him. Miami's offered him. Old Miss. North Carolina State. Um, you know, t- some good teams have offered. North Carolina's offered him. Oh, no, they, I guess they haven't actually. Wichita State, West Virginia. Um, but he's a kid that I think could be, you know, I wouldn't count on him to come in and, and be playing, you know, 25 minutes a game as a true freshman in the SEC or anything like that, but he's a guy who could make an impact as a potentially as a true freshman as being a, kind of an athletic big who seems to be touted for having some pr- pretty good defense and is, a, you know, not bad on offense. And I think from what I've seen different articles written about him, he has a, you know, the ability to stretch the floor. I don't know how, you know, prolific that'll be in college. but I'm watching highlights him right now and he's made a couple threes and, you know, some jump shots here and there too. So, you know, maybe he has some more tools offensively than you'd imagine for a typical 6'11", 7-foot guy coming out of high school. You know, not just not just dunking at the rim all the time. But, Gene, I, I think the hire of Ganey makes sense. And I think this connection to Adu is a bonus. And I think if Tennessee could land do in this class, that would be very nice. Not just for, obviously, this season, but for, you know, kind of hopefully for Tennessee's sake, kind of bolstering that post moving forward. And maybe he'll get coached by Ganey and coached by a guy, as you said, that Tennessee needs to get some coaches who coaches the four position. Maybe Ganey will be a guy who does that. Maybe he's just a recruiter, you know? I don't know. But I think this is, overall, it's a good move for Tennessee on, I think, multiple fronts.
1: Yeah, I'm sitting here watching some highlights of him right now, and uh, I think the thing that really sticks out to me first is, I mean, his reaction on defense. Uh, he, you know, he wants to pass. Um, yeah, like and what's hard about a lot of these, like this evaluation of players nowadays is nobody plays the way that Tennessee plays. So you're only watching kids. If you're a post, if you're watching a kid that, you know, that's a, a post player, then you're watching a kid who's basically just running the court and just showing his athleticism. It's like, so if you're going to talk about, I mean, he, here he is starting a fast break and passing it to somebody. Um, so what you're seeing for a lot of these kids is you're seeing kids who just, you know, by virtue of the way that everybody else plays the game, that's not Tennessee. You're seeing kids who are mainly, you know, getting the ball and, you know, like they just finish. Like it to half, the, half the, the shots I see him making are dunks. And here, I mean, here comes a rebound and he wants to start a fast break. And like, again, I think that's, that's a good skill to have. Um, and that's why I'm just so adamant about like you gotta have it, gotta develop this because maybe this kid wants to, wants to add that skill, because you know the more skills you have, the more you know marketable you are to the next level. But I, I mean, like I'm watching a kid who's got again, he's got some skills, and and he'd be a good piece. Uh, maybe he's just the piece that wants to play defense, and maybe he's just a piece that they're going to use to run the floor like Cal Alexander did, and. Um, that would be good. If he could be your next Kyle Alexander, then you're pretty good. Um, and maybe they don't go as inside out as they have in years past. Maybe having a dynamic point guard gives you the freedom to play more of an up and down style. And maybe all those things do happen. But I, I do think that, um, I, I do think that if you have this piece then you become better. If you have a do, you do become better. Because, he, again, he's a guy who he, he clears up a problem. Uh, I don't know if he's physical enough yet. I, I just don't know. I mean, I'm mean, i just saying that I don't know. If, but that's the SEC game is going to be physical. Is he physical enough? Can he take that? If he can, he'll be really good for him. And I think that's all you really want is just to add quality pieces and try to develop them and get them ready to play uh, come January.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, talking about this roster construction, I've seen a lot of all fans, you know, mentioning that they really want to go see Tennessee get, you know, an impact post player in the the transfer portal and stuff. And you you and I have kind of talked about that a little bit in previous episodes too. And I think that it's just, I also, one, don't think we're done seeing guys transferred and not specifically just Tennessee. I think just in general, I think there's still, when we've still got like 1,100, 1,200 kids in the portal right now. I think that number is still going to keep rising. I think you're still going to see kids into the portal um, here in the coming weeks at, at different schools and stuff. So there, there could be some more options that you, you know, that aren't there right now that are, or at least not officially right there right now. Um, but again, if if Fulkerson returns for Tennessee, I also would like wonder, like, if he's healthy and in the right headspace and everything. Like, do you need a big instant impact type of four yard, or can you get by with a guy like Adu if, if you land him, of him coming in and being, you know. Uh, the second post at times and, and just kind of spelling Fulkerson or whatever and maybe Orish takes a step forward maybe Kamau takes a step forward you know I, I think if Fulkerson returns you kind of diminish the need to bring in an instant impact forward right now it can maybe push that off till next year whereas because uh, if you bring in an Adu type kid or you know get a Humley Hatfield also that's two guys in recruiting you're looking at who I mean if only Hatfield comes in you're even if he's reclassifying as super young you're still making on him part you know playing a decent amount and being a contributor with as high rate as he is, you would like to think he is going to come in and do that. If you, if you, yeah, you know,
1: he He's gone in eight months, regardless.
0: Yeah, he's exactly.
1: Either, like either he transfers or he's gone pro. Like uh, yeah. that kid ain't coming to play in no two, three, four years. Mm-mm.
0: No, so you bring him in, and that could be you know maybe an incident impacted guy there, but you, you bring that in as a a, a stopgap for next season. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that the forward position isn't maybe as big of a need as Vol fans maybe think it is because if you think about it, like I said, if Fulkerson returns, and if he doesn't return, that obviously changes things. But at this point in time, this isn't based on any inside info or you know anything like that. I, I just think he probably will return. If I had to guess from knowing the way Fulkerson has been in his four years, at or I guess five years at Tennessee at this point, with the way his this season ended, not just for the team, but for him specifically with him being knocked out of the SEC tournament by Omar Payne and not getting to play in Tennessee's last two games, you know, both losses for Tennessee and with the season ending, disappointingly, for Tennessee this year and with a chance to come back and, you know, I don't know, I would say make a run because I don't know that next year's team will make a, a deep run necessarily for anything, but with a chance to kind of end on a more positive note with a better season for him and a potentially just kind of better overall season for the team, I I, I think if I'm if, if he's if he's who I think he is the last five years that he's shown I think he will return. Again, doesn't mean he's going to. Doesn't mean that, I could be totally wrong on that. He could be, you know, want to go make some money. He could be tired and beat up. And I, I would understand 100% not coming back too. But if he comes back, I think that obviously mitigates the the need for Tennessee to get an instant impact big. And you could probably be okay with what you have and bringing in a guy like I do on um, the Hatfield or, or whatever and still focusing on bringing in another Shooter, shooter or something like that in the transfer portal because Tennessee's looking at I mean, again looking at multiple guys um, still in the transfer portal right now but Gene I think that's kind of where we'll in this episode of the podcast I want to touch on like I said the fact that Tennessee losing all these guys may not actually be a bad thing at all in fact it could be a good thing for Tennessee talk about the new assistant coach being added then <laughs> of course we had a couple of news articles happen as we're talking with Walker Kessler with Garrison Brooks and again those are two guys Tennessee we're looking at in, in the post so we'll see I, again I don't know that Tennessee is going to have any more guys transfer off I agree with you Eugene. I think at this point you, you have who you have I think the guys returning are the guys returning I don't think we'll see uh, anyone else transfer off the roster I could be wrong but you know I, I don't think we will at this point but we'll see some more guys come in whether it's you know recruits whether Tennessee adds two more guys to the recruiting class uh, three more guys or whatever Uh, one one or two more transfers. The Tennessee's roster construction obviously is not done yet. Um, I think all the guys that are going to leave are off, but Tennessee still needs to add some more guys to the roster. So we'll see how it all goes. But again, I want to thank all of you for listening. If you have any questions, anything you want to comment on from this podcast, please let us know at Vol Hoops Fever and at Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. The first one was our Twitter handle. Please let us know if you have any questions, any comments, anything you want to add to what we said, anything you agree with, anything you disagree with. Um, Gene, I imagine plenty people disagree with things we say with I just haven't heard as much feedback on it on Twitter <laughs> as I as I anticipate maybe once we get back yeah. to basketball season again I'm sure we'll probably hear more about it but uh, yeah. I do appreciate you know, most of y'all have been pretty cordial and stuff online which I really appreciate and, and very thankful for we y'all have been good listeners been great people and we really appreciate that again thank you to all the l- new listeners thank you to all of you who've liked and followed us over the last uh, couple weeks here really really appreciate that Go subscribe to us today so you don't miss another episode in the future. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast.